said, let's do a next session where we'll just go completely through my deck. So, all right, we're, we're open. Fantastic. Get them in. Then we can, we can hash it out. <laughs> I love it. Go easy on me though. I had a rough night. Okay. So welcome. Happy um, third. Is it Thursday? Thank goodness. Okay. okay. We have, yes. Macro to micro power hour. Thank you. Five so o'clock in Halifax. Exactly. Five o'clock in Halifax. I'm so happy to be joined by Bob McMahon, my favorite oil trader. And this is a regular session that I do on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but with Bob, it's extra special. And for those who want to know who he is, he is the man behind a lot of phenomenal oil calls. And in fact, I think we might be for the first time in two years, um, uh, not aligned. I love it. I think we're not aligned. I think we're going to have a tussle here today. That's what that's what makes a market, right? All right. So I have his uh, bio up here. He has definitely been involved in the oil markets and your father before you. And this is mm. just a huge um, opportunity to talk oil. And I'm going to throw in some macro because I know that you're not a big, you know, focused macro guy on oil. But I think there is a lot of macro um, as a tailwind for oil right now. And so... You're my guest. You also have to hear me talk about it. So, and by the way, I'm Samantha LaDuke. Yeah, founder of LaDukeTrading.com. And when this uh, webinar is over, I will post it to my LaDuke Trading uh, YouTube channel and it'll be here, uh, Macro to Micro Power Hour. And we did one, oh, I don't know, a few, was it two months ago? It was in November, I think you're, or even, oh, it was gosh, that yes. far. Okay, it was, so it's yeah. definitely time to go over it. Um, and it was. How did the SPAC call go, by the way? That looked very interesting. The what? The SPAC call. Your SPAC. Your, 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 didn't you do an hour on SPAC? Special purpose acquisition Oh, SPACs. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It was, yes, it was, it was phenomenal because the first one we did in January um, was, you know, hot fire flames and everything was going up. And then we did this one most recently and it was... Um, uh, the opposite. In other words, the issuance, the amount of supply was going to basically, the weight of it, it was going to fall just on the weight of the supply of all the issuance. And sure enough, it dropped like a rock right in this NASDAQ sell-off um, when we got that uh, another energy burst, that rotation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was a phenomenal timing to do that literally right before it fell. Yeah, you're back in November. Anyway, but this is my YouTube channel. It'll It'll be here. That's all I wanted to say about that. And let me stop sharing so we can actually, we can talk. So one thing I did want to put up here, I did a video. You're going to laugh. Maybe you're going to laugh. I don't know. Did you get a chance to look at my video? You won't believe Samantha's higher oil call. No. <laughs> Is there a reason why you didn't send that to me? I probably didn't send this to you, but you got to check this out on my YouTube channel because- can you hear me? I will. Yes, perfect. Yes. Okay. And where are we here? No, good. So long story short. So by the way, you and I are usually totally, well, when I call you and say I have some conviction on something, you and I are usually on the same page. So I'm, I'm glad that we're not maybe on the same page. So I, don't, I, I don't think we are, but to, to make sure, since I've already, already published my written analysis on that call um, and also a little video snippet uh, for free. I know what I'm thinking and why. Share. What is your oil analysis now? Oh, wow. We're just jumping right to like telling me. I got to right? have a little bit. I got to have a little bit. I got to have a little bit. Just a little I just bit. think I just think prices are ahead of the fundamentals. And um, 
Uh, is there an oil bear out there? Is there what? Is there an oil bear out there? Is oh, that's one? a very good point. Yes, there is a sentiment of only higher oil. The wirehouses like, are coming up. Have you up. heard one? Or... I haven't heard of a bear. Like I one. have, but they're, okay. they're, they are the, um, they're the hiding. melt. I got the term today from a client. They are the melt up deflationists. Right. Meaning we're having a melt up, but it's going to be a massive deflationary bust. Um, and this oil spike is a precursor. Yeah. So, they are bears. They're just waiting it out. So I know. Um, so that's a great intro for our discussion. We had sort of a little script, so we're going off that already. No, right? we'll we'll do it now. Okay, cool. So, okay. but first, you know, let's talk about trading versus forecasting, right? Like mm -hmm. I I learned long ago not to forecast. I mean, there's some people that are forced to make a, fo a forecast every day. You have to make a call. I don't. I spend almost all the time not knowing and watching. So. Um, I've had the privilege to work a lot on the hedging side, particularly for end users, of course, who are short the market, right? They have to buy fuel in the future. So I've become disciplined in terms of wanting to identify risk of what I would call sustained higher prices, right? So can oil prices go higher? Can they even spike? Absolutely. And we'll talk later that I've actually have exposure to that spike. We talked about tail risk. And in our stranded asset trading methodology, we want to always be exposed to upside uh, price movement through, you know, Exxon, for example. So, mm -hmm. so I don't tend to get like to get pigeonholed into I'm an oil bull or an oil bear. I'm trading the oil market that's in front of me, and that I, and and assessing sort of risks and opportunities along the way. So, can oil prices go higher? Sure, I hope they do. Actually, it'll be accretive to me, but I, I don't need to carry that forecast around every day. And I learned that long ago that when, uh, because then I own that forecast and I don't need to own stuff. I just have to trade profitably. Right. That's, that's what it's all about. So. And you, and you also have a fund that is. I'm, I'm trying to start a vehicle out here. Yeah. With another partner. And, and uh, so we're going through the regulatory hoops to get that going. So that's exciting. And uh, it is very exciting. Yeah. It's always a struggle, the regulatory side and the paperwork and that stuff is always uh, timely as in a long time, but, um, but I'm looking forward to that, which is going to be good. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully I can go back on with my partner someday who has a completely different methodology and other asset classes. So as you know, I'm just exclusively trading oil and derivatives so and your, stocks. So, yes. Tell us about your background because this yeah. is, this is helpful to kind of frame the conversation. Sure. So I've been in the oil business since 1984, almost exclusively in the downstream side. So got a chance to do a lot of supply trading, hedging, trading my own PA, um, owned my own fuel company, was involved in industry associations and uh, had my own, um, you know, used to publish my own newsletter called the Petroleum Alert back in the 90s. So sort of a watch the oil market trade tick for tick for, you know, what's that 16 plus 21, 37, 38 years. So um, and uh, my own style has evolved over time, which we can talk about. But um, so I just exclusively play in the oil space. And so I try to build a system or a process where I don't have to, you know, you made uh, comments earlier about macro. Um, uh, uh, and I think we talked about this in the November call is, I don't feel like I have to know macro because I have a broad enough group of indicators that I score every week that, that'll tell me, that'll confirm to me, I think some of the same things that you, that you do with, with a different analysis. So it'll, 
those macro trends or correlations will filter through the indicators that I'm looking at that are germane perhaps just to the oil market. So, so we're just coming at it from a different point of view. I joke around and say macro's lazy. <laughs> and I think one of the things that, that um, uh, attracted uh, me to your trading style was just your, for first of all, just your mantra, which is micro to macro, right? And I think that's what makes you good. Uh, and uh, I think there's one common thing that we found talking to each other's stuff like flows in that are, are, are really important. And I'm not like microscopic in my flow analysis and you are, which is really good. So I see a bit of it. And, and what I found is that, you know, I have a broad enough group of indicators that in any given time during different market conditions, different things might be important. It's been really sort of interesting, call it the last year or two, where flows are really important. They're important signaler of things to happen. And, and, and it's really helped me out, which is good. Um, and there's some puzzles on that flow stuff now, which we can talk about, which might be counter to some of the things that you're thinking about higher oil prices in terms of there hasn't really been a lot of speculative flows into oil, at least into the paper side of the market, which we can talk about. And that's the sort of warning signal for me. And it's yes. not dry powder thing. It's gone on for so long. It's just not dry powder waiting to happen. I mean, we're at $65. If long speculators are coming in, you'd think they'd show up to the party by now, right? But they haven't. And so that's a bit of a puzzle. So, so um Anyway, just been trading oil and, and being active in the market and watching it. And um, that's that's sort of my uh, brief history or whatever. So what are you what are you doing now that you're off Twitter? Because honestly, this is where we would DM and, you know, I'm following <laughs> your sarcastic kind of lines. And also there's a lot of um, ballast that you give in yeah. your commentary, um, meaning the sentiment obviously goes way too far. Yeah. And you bring it right back quickly with a kind of a reality check um, that makes it more reasonable. Like, okay, yeah, like you said, right now, are there any oil bears? And I think <laughs> that's a really good point. It yeah. seems, and you're always you're you're also you know you're you're texting. Oh my gosh, they just you know this wirehouse just upped their uh, their oil price after it's already moved a hundred points or, you know, whatever. I mean, you're, you're aware that it's getting frothy, kind of like the yeah. SPACs that just went. Poof. Sure. Yeah. So no, I, I just need to take a break for a while. You know, I think Twitter is a wonderful vehicle. I, I think you mentioned the magic words, which is sentiment, which is largely, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. why I would look at it. And, and uh, it was a great window on sentiment. Um, but also just from a personal point of view, I think you can get a little immersed in it. I'm not saying I don't have an ego and I used to have a lot of fun with it. And it, it can be a distraction too, and it can take up a lot of time. And so I just decided to, um, to take a break from it and, and just kind of get off. Do you side miss and, it? And, uh, I do miss <laughs> it a lot. Uh, I've got some good friends, uh, yep. Connor Damone here in Halifax from uh, Ice Cap Management and Zach Rogers from- uh, Oh, I knew, I do know. Um, yeah, we follow each other. I like, yeah. I like his stuff. Connor's yep. great guy, great young trader. He's gonna Ice be an yep. awesome man, money manager, uh, learning and just a fantastic guy. And Zach Rogers, who's an analyst with uh, Rapid and they keep me posted on what everybody's saying, what's going on. And I get enough, uh, investment research and points of view, just collecting over the years from people who send me stuff to, to still get that sentiment sort of uh, uh, a flavor. But it's been sort of a healthy break. But yes, I do miss it. All right. And well, when I come back, I'll probably want to have that sarcastic edge, which maybe <laughs> is to some, but 
Um, I hope you're anonymous. I still think my, I still think which, which egg account <laughs> is, is Bob's. Yeah, for Bob's burner account. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, All cool. right. But one thing that you would publish, um, and I was able to grab on Twitter, uh, but more recently, um, market ear has been, the market ear has been kind of pushing out some of your charts. Yeah. Um, so there is still a, there is still access to your, to your research and, and such, but what are your, your MPAS cheat codes that you reference in a lot of these charts? It's a, it's basically yeah. your punch list, if you will, but what does yeah. it, what does it stand for? Yeah. So, um, first back to the market here, how good are those folks, right? No comment. Like amazing. So I'm really glad that they did get behind a paywall. So, you know, I'm trying to help them out, send some stuff over there. Just fantastic folks on risk management. I mean, I was Oh, the market ear. Oh, yes. Yeah, the yes. market ear. Yeah. It is Just, bizarre to me that they are aligned with Zero Hedge, which is very yeah. politically slanted, but the market ear, brilliant. I love their yeah. stuff. No, yeah. fantastic. And so I'm making sure I'm uh, two people I send stuff to now, you and them. And um, uh, just, great, just great folks, risk management. Um, I learned so much from them, saw them go from, you know, basically zero to 30. And we still don't even know who they are. No, that's the great mystery. We do believe there's women involved. Uh, Absolutely. The the risk management is phenomenal, but then so is the tone. And then yes, in DM, there's a little he, he, he. I love that. (laughs) But uh, so maybe it's a part of my strategic planning background. It doesn't really, it does kind of frame my trading, but I just like to, every year I'll establish some themes or whatever. and actually for 19 and 20, it was the same that I developed at the end of 18 was, you know, I called it the four Ds, which was deglobalization, debt saturation, um, decarbonization, and, and Donald Trump, I was searching for a D. It works. Uh, and, and he's gone now, which I know you're happy about. I am. Uh, but that was more the Ben Hunt type of, you know, markets as political utilities thing. And it, it really helps like frame, it helps totally. me frame a lot. And you, if you think about, and I had some strong views that the world w- was going to deglobalization and that was not, uh, that was not uh, popular at the time. And of course we know uh, debt saturation is all around us and, and continues to grow and decarbonization, you know, and the energy transitions become a lot more important. And then, you know, we've seen, how uh, politicians and people of authority can impact markets. I mean, we've seen that with the Fed, obviously, and have been for years. So um, so I ran with that for two years and just got a little tired this year. I came up with the four S's, and I think it's uh, uh, socialism, um, uh, st- uh, uh, debt, uh, debt saturation, yeah. Um, Was it debt uh, stagflation? St- uh, I call it stayflation, actually. Stayflation, that was it. Uh, yeah, sus- sustainability and... Um, Insolvency, sorry, not uh, debt saturation. So, you know, somewhere along the similar lines, just to, to train it up, but just a little bit on stayflation. You know, I know they're talking about once we get past the vaccine rainbow here, that we're all going to run out and run all over the world and chew up all kinds of demand. I just really don't buy that. At the stuff I see and just how I'm living my own life and and my friends and the general environment we're here in Canada is that. I think things are coming back more where we're just going to stay closer to home. We're staying close to our family units. I think it's, it's been a real, you know, we could talk about that for a while, but so I'm not calling it inflation or stagflation. I'm calling it stayflation. And, you know, I learned long ago that oil is all about movement. You know, it's, it's economic movement, it's people movement. And I just don't think we're going to move around as much uh, in the future. So that's a theme that we're going to kind of build on here and, and we'll see what happens with the vaccine rainbow with respect to petroleum. And so, so I just have those framed as, 
you know, when I get into larger trades, there, I just, there's always a check back to the, the larger strategy to see if it fits into these themes that I've developed. So, so the four S's are what we're working on in 2021. Yeah, I think the stayflation is interesting because, um, you know, anecdotally, Norwegian yesterday opened up their lines for bookings and it was their busiest, you know, day yeah, ever. Yeah, At the yeah. same time, the money that's going out, um, especially with unemployment benefits continuing, there are going to be difficulties with small businesses hiring when there isn't the incentive. They don't, some folks don't yeah. I mean, you know, go you that know, way. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit. Sticky. We need a little bit yeah. more sticky. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm typically skeptical by nature. So, you know, I think the ugliest words I heard this year is, you know, pent up demand. Like, you know, it's like, like we're all going to go out and take 10 cruises or drive around three times as much once we, you know, get our, get our uh, vaccine badge. Like um, I just don't buy into it. And there's a lot of people, I mean, I think some of us are blessed that are really hurting now. Like their stacks are, stacks are depleted. They're out of work. Uh, there's a lot of businesses there that are really hurting, mm -hmm. like really hurting. I know, I know, I know some very sad st stories, like lots of, them. so um, I don't believe in the pent up demand story. I believe there's tougher times to come and I'm, I'm trading from that framework. Um, I'm flexible enough to change along the way, but I'm holding that view until, you know, what they say, I'll change my mind when the facts change or whatever. So, so can we go through a period here where, we're demanding our own economic activity like spikes for some reason. Sure. But back to that sustainable world again, I think, I think we're going to be a little longer getting back to normal. So you're going to show us, I hope anyway, a reference on these um, besides the four S's moving forward. And that is a framework. That's kind of your box, if you will, but then yeah. specifically you've got this energy index that you do and your yeah. codes that you do. And it, yeah. it, it's so I, I put, put our heat map together at the end for you. Oh, we good. weren't okay. supposed to do any charts today, but you go, we want to see I all really, kinds of charts. Really, so I put yes, a bunch of charts at the end for because you. Because I good. share with my clients and I will interpret them best I can, but it needs <laughs> the bob spin. So yeah. it, it really does need your. Thanks. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. It needs your interpretation. Cool. Yeah. Um, so what are you still in? Because I know you have had tremendous success and you're a concentrated trader. So not like I trade small and lots. You right. trade very, very large and few. <laughs> so yeah. you said you're now, um, you're still an Exxon, but you're selling calls against it while it kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So about. I think uh, um, I got a current position. I think long Exxon just under 55 and sold some October 60 calls or something. So that that's it really. So, you know, in that my stranded asset call it strategy is tied to the energy transition. As you know, companies are jumping off. Uh, to get on the ESG rainbow. People are trying to be renewable companies. They're trying to be power companies. They're ending their companies because they couldn't survive in the current economic environment. So I decided a couple of years ago that I just wanted to own companies that are staying in carbon, if you want to call it, adjusting to the energy transition and that are going to benefit from people getting out of the business, being forced to be out of the business. And I call that stranded assets. And so obviously there'll be periods of time and this won't be linear, by the way, which is a question I asked someone this morning, like, is that it? Like, we're at $65. Uh, we're going to 100. There's $20 crack spreads. Like, is that it? Is it over? Because there was a time a few months ago, which I was explaining to my buddy, where I was reading a stranded asset story every day, a refinery closing, an mm -hmm. EP company going out of business. Like, I haven't seen anything. So is that it? Is that it? We're over? No. So 
Um, I want to own companies that are going to be in the carbon game to the end, to what I call banks, I'll turn the lights out. So, um, so that's a choice of both format and the company. And so the format in my mind coming from the industry and how the type of company I want to own and stay into the end is an integrated company, not someone that's in the e space, midstream, merchant refiner, downstream marketer. I want to own an integrated oil company. And there's really only two in the US is Chevron and Exxon. So I just picked Exxon. And so how I'll trade the fund is I'll just always be long Exxon. And so the degree that I'm long, I'll just be either size or in bear markets, I'll sell stuff off against it and trade it on a relative basis because I believe it'll survive over time. So, you know, it was amazing when Exxon was down the spring to $32. I'm talking to people and I'm going, oh, ESG is going to put them out of business. And and I just want to own it. If, I, if it's going to blow up, if it's canned goods in a mountainside cave, like I want to, I want to go down with Exxon. So, so, so we'll just trade around Exxon. And that gives you all kinds of optionality. As we talked about, we talked about tail risk and geopolitical risk. Like, so you own some Exxon. So you have tail, you have tail risk inherent and not even having to buy tail risk in terms of, you know, cheap $80 crew calls or something. You're just naturally exposed to that. So, so Exxon's the company I want to buy. My theory is stranded assets. Thanks. I'll turn the lights out and I'll turn it out with that stock. Now I say only Exxon. We'll, of course, we'll buy. We'll buy other equities and do other things depending on the environment, you know, where we see, you know, favorable conditions for crack spreads or obviously uh, E&P companies can uh, benefit from uh, uh, crude strip going up. So there'll be different times when that, re- those, that leadership will change within that mix. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just like to keep it simple. Like you say, early in my career, overtraded like crazy, traded everything every day. You know, my broker used to say, Bob, there's a trade every day, but you don't need to trade every day. Uh, so I, uh, I just. But I don't know I, how you have resisted the basket well, it, trading. Because well, for me and, and my clients <laughs> in my trading room every day, I'm like, since that, you know, $32.60, yeah. right? Going long in Exxon. Yeah. And my intermarket stuff, and then I see the EMP plays like the CPE, right? Yeah. This is from 1450 just recently to 40. This is the fun of basket I, trading I a theme. or the refiners crack spread. It's doing beautiful things for the refiner margins. I just love the refiners. So, how can you resist? Yeah, well, one, <laughs> one, one, even though I used to overtrade, I can't hold anything for a long period of time. So, even within my strategy, I, just, I can't, I just can't, I can't sit. So I'll do something like we did recently with, you know, we'll sell off some calls and then I'm kind of locked in because, because no, I can't do that. But, but, but I did learn the lesson on overtrading from my perspective. So um, I like to watch, I don't trade much. And because when I do trade, I have to trade, you know, a lot larger than most. And I have very little, obviously um, latitude for, you know, any type of pullbacks when you enter something. So so I, I'm just not trading often. It, it just fits my more my personality than it. Uh, it it's yeah, not I a, like it's to not be an busy. empirical decision. Yeah, and there's so, no question I like to be busy. So when I think oil's going to spike, I want those E and P plays. What you call the flat oil, right? Yeah, right? I mean, I'm and not here to tell anybody like my. The safer ones, better. I'll say trade Exxon. But here, if you want something that moves really fast, <laughs> great. Yeah, it's just for me. I. It's not you know, done. My yeah. intermarket says it's not done. So and it, it may not be. So, you know, I just see some stuff that's because I don't trade much. It just sort of troubles me. And so I'll just wait. I'll, I'll wait for the top. And so okay. uh, uh, I'm not saying it can't. I'm just saying I won't. Oh, so uh, what, I think you have to pick a trading of, style. Go ahead. 
besides the lack, which you already kind of referred to of kind of the sponsorship, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the speculators are just not there in size long. What else bothers you? And the sentiment, there are no, no bears to find, really. They are the melt-up deflationist bears, right? Yeah. That think it's going to spike and then crash. But the point is, you don't have a theme that it will spike. You just have a theme that there isn't a strong enough case fundamentally for it to move higher. Um, in a nutshell, yeah. Like I, I, I have this question, I, is, it, is it a supply deficit or is it supplier discipline? So to me, it's supplier discipline. You know, OPEC plus has, you know, let's, who, who cares the exact number? Six, eight million barrels a day crude off the market. Refinings are running. I mean, we had the Texas weather event, but before that, 1.3, 1.5 million barrels a day that they're not running before the Texas weather event, that's supply discipline. That's not a market that, you know, supplies totally tapped out and demands ripping, neither thing's happening. So that to me, that's the price is firm due to supplier discipline. And so when does that discipline ease? And is what's happening now already in the price? Like you'll see later, we have a crude chart here, the market's in steep backwardation. So that usually implies that the front or a spot is incredibly tight. It's not. Like there's even some people starting to come out now and say, it's not, there's plenty of oil around in spot. There is. And the back end, just 12 month strip is five, $6 cheaper. So, you know, so a lot of the energy equity thesis is, well, the back end's going to rally. And that's why all these, you know, EMP companies and energy companies are undervalued. I think the curve has it right. It's the supply that's going to come later. <laughs> that's why it's cheaper. So in the front end is the vaccine rainbow, which is, you know, the pent up demand, the narrative, the whatever. And so to me, the curve has it right. So uh, yes, it's, it's, and if it isn't, it's already in the price. So if crude, and it can, but can't, if, if we were going to 80 bucks a barrel or $70 a barrel and staying there, why isn't the collective wisdom of the market buying that back end? That's a pretty good trade, right? You can buy spot five, $6 cheaper than, or uh, back end 12 months out, five, $6 cheaper in spot. So they read your report and they're fundamentally like, why? <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't hunt for me. So, okay. so I'll right. just watch and see what happens. And maybe the back end does come up and everybody's great, but I'm not committing my capital to that play. Not that okay. specific play. When have you seen it um, last do anything that you didn't expect? Like really well, move? Well, the two biggest puzzles now are, to me, you know, the spec interest, the lack of spec interest in this rally. And, and two is um, the backwardation is really a bit of a puzzle to me or whatever. So, so those things, you know, they'll reconcile themselves out. We'll figure out why, but right there now that that's a bit of a puzzle to me, you know, do, pull up a chart and look at all the energy trading instruments like futures, CL, mm -hmm. USO, Oxy, uh, uh, What's the EMP uh, ETF? Is it XOP? Yeah. Yeah, XOP um, and ETF. XLE. Mm -hmm. And it, this is a paper-led rally, right? It's papers outperformed. It's a CL rally. So, you know, in, in different times, this is what we talk about, you know, oil's not XLE. It's funny you see a lot of this analysis and they have a branch or a CL chart up and then and then they put CLE. XLE is not, is not oil. I call it, it's not oil unless you don't want it to be. So... So there's different periods where that leadership will flip, flip around, but this has been a paper-led rally, right? And so, but and it, the energy, energy stocks have done fantastic. I mean, 
But it makes no perfect question. sense to me <laughs> because the macro tailwind of inflation expectations mm. and you know rising CPI and all of that. It's and to me, there's a lot of um, the vaccine rainbow that you've talked about with increasing right. demand and stimulus being stimulative right. to oil and that payment, if you will, for consumers uh, right. to get out and travel more and you know drive yeah. and fly and all that. It seems like the expectations are driving this and the Fed's fine with yields moving right. higher, it so, seems. Yeah. Why so not? Why, why, why do energy equities not, tr not trade at a premium to pay for that? If you wanted leverage in the gold market, would you buy gold or would you buy GDX? Well, there is a big, huge divergence between the paper and the physical in gold. Yeah, yeah. now. Yeah. Now. Yeah, but normally you'd buy gold miners as leverage on the gold price, right? I, we didn't lose sound. Someone just saying, uh, if anyone else has an issue with sound, let me know. Thank you, thank you. Um, so yeah, that divergence between paper and physical has occurred in several markets. Uh, silver, we kind of dismissed because it, we already know it's, you know, highly, um, let's say, manipulated in the in the futures and such. But for right now, the physical, um, you're looking at that divergence. But I'm talking about in the past. Are there any other moves historically that you can really kind of point to that surprised you? The price got way ahead of the fundamentals, and how did it end? 2008, well, as an example. Well, well, badly, I guess. You just draw a line through $65 since when NYMEX crude started trading. I mean, there's been longer periods where crude stayed up there, but it always ends pretty ugly, <laughs> like very ugly. So, And that's why I came out and said, okay, we got up here. Now what? It's, yeah. You're in digestion mode. I'm just saying if we get and stay above 65, it's... Yeah, it's great. Remember last January when we traded the, rain, uh, the uh, missile attack on the Saudi facility? That was interesting. And we just had that the other night, right? And it's around a similar price. It didn't last, though, you know, for more than five hours. It was so, so brief. It didn't even. It was, yeah. So they're getting more reactive or reflexive. Yeah. These pullbacks are interesting, too, right? I mean, we've had seven, six percent pullbacks in crude here. Really tough to position trade in that environment, right? That's that's the incredible part, right? It's like people can put a forecast in, but try trading that. Try trading a seven percent a pullback and you're down 5% and you're in size. Well, is it kind of, is it kind of, is this just a minor correction? Like, you know, these become difficult decisions when you're well, a trader. This is, right? this is definitely why the 65 is so important in my forecast. Above right. is bullish. If we get, if we stay above, it's bullish. Otherwise it's a high probability short below, but I don't think we're gonna go right. directly. Uh, I think it's gonna be a digestion period. Awesome. So. Uh, which of the, let's just say time frame, I'm not which of the timer, how much, how much do you think this is going to chop about with these um, tough, like, you know, like you just mentioned, we've had two very sharp pullbacks in the past two weeks. This, um, I call I it fragility of chop, right? Yes. I the love that saying, path. by the way, that's so, that's so good. I love that. No, I'm glad, but, but it is how I feel. I'm looking at the markets, not just the oil markets, and they're mm. all kind of doing the same thing. This, okay, we, we're, bonds have already come down 20%. What's next? Um, yields for sure have yeah. hit the, the tech sector um, as anticipated as they would. And now all of a sudden, higher yields are fine. It means the economy's better. Buy tech. <laughs> yeah. I love how the narrative changes all the time. But yours doesn't in your stranded asset theme you are still 
you know, yeah, it's just a question of, you know, you're waiting on, on, uh, on, an, uh, say an integrated old company, but, um, uh, we'll go through a couple of brief charts here. I, I, I like just a monthly chart on oil uh, for the three products, uh, gasoline and ULSD. And I, I, I found in terms of my longer term work, just simple ranges work for me. And I'll just, so I actually agree with you, like above 65, you know, we'll go to 75. So, um, but um, I still reserve the right to trade my own book. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not comfortable with a bunch of things here to be to get heavily exposed to that to that move, but it sure as hell looks like it it will for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking for your. Uh, you want to share your charts? I have. I can. We're ready to go on to that. Yeah, we're great. Okay. I want yeah, to. I want to I wanna get um, some time also. If any. Yeah, you need to uh, disable. You need to allow me to share. Yes, I will do that. Okay, cool. But I was looking for something. All right. Nope. Hit it. There, there we go. Wow. Pretty backdrop. Let's go. Cool. Yeah, it was Halifax the other morning. Every day I get to watch that, which is pretty cool. It's gorgeous. So there's our social insolvency, stranded assets, deflation. Do you believe at the bottom that Exxon and Chevron were talking about getting together? How cool would that be? Mega big. Yeah. Here's here's the ESG rainbow. There's Beyond Petroleum. And I say, nah, I like the old songs like Exxon, right? So tight fractal. There you go. So this is crude oil to your point. I mean, you know, I have this band at 65, 66-ish there. This was on the weekend, of course, because I'm using a, a monthly. So um, sure, look at that 76.90 high there. So, you know, we get above 65 here on a monthly basis, sure. A um, little troubling on the volume here, Samantha, um, mm -hmm. longer term. And of course, momentum is elevated. That doesn't mean, of course, as you know, it's actually most dynamic markets a condition for some serious uh, extension of prices. But so, yeah, I mean, you know, that, that kind of works for me. Certainly, I'm not going to argue with you technically. Heating oil, I do a lot of ULSD um, hedging work. So this 164 was always an interesting number. You can see when we came down through that in the spring. So, I, you know, I like these ranges and, and products call it 164, 245, and we're right in the middle of that. So, you know, we could get a pullback, you know, pullback to 164 would be pretty substantive. Certainly want to be a buyer there. And then the upside range here, you know, could be as much as 245. Um, momentum starting to get a little extended there. So, you know, there's nothing technically that's signaling to me that we're crashing here. So gasoline, much the same. I like this sort of 180, call it to 220 range that we're in. Um, and so there's nothing really wrong there. Volume's been a lot stronger on the gasoline side. And of course, momentum is elevated where it should be since we've been rallying hard right off the spring or whatever. So just quickly, just quick little snapshot, you know, gasoline demand's really been struggling. I mean, snap back a little bit here after the Texas weather event, but you know, we're in this, we've been the six to 10% down versus uh, last year. Of course, we're gonna have some bizarre comps once we get into March or, or April here. So, um, but you know, gasoline's been struggling Remember, we talked about this chart before. I call it jumping the shark. I mean, the market has to jump the shark for gasoline demand goes positive versus 19. We're nowhere close to that. In fact, you know, we've been sort of, but the, all the pent up demand and the vaccine rainbow is going to recover us from that. So I'm just kind of watching and see if it can jump the shark here. Distillate demand has been really strong for a whole bunch of reasons. You know, it's really good. There's nothing wrong there. We're up 3% over 
2020 and really strong. Uh, even uh, Texas weather event didn't have much to do with that. Uh, this is just the same chart on a year over basis, four weeks. So, you know, we're fine on Dislet. Um, total, we're down about 7%, just, you know, one half, 1.4 million barrels a day. We're below 20, uh, 2020. And uh, that's just a over a week. So, you know, here's been the problem about recovering, you know, I call it friendlier skies, jet fuel demand, you know, half a million barrels below last year, you know, this is going to be the big one to get that going. And, you know, that's going to come back. We're not saying it isn't coming back, but, you know, it's been a slow process, but friendlier skies. Um, uh, stocks of crude oil, you know, obviously with uh, all the production shut in, we lost some crude oil, but with the refineries being basically turned down, we had 50% call it um, refined utilization in the Gulf. Um, we're building a lot of crude here, 12 million barrels almost a week here for the last two weeks. So we're 40 million barrels higher than 2020. So there's no, there's no supply deficit problem in the crude oil market, despite all the hype. Um, and of course, gasoline, you don't run your refineries, you're going to lose products. So, you know, gasoline is tightening up and that's very bullish. 15 million barrels below last year, or 6%. And there's probably a few more weeks of draws there too until the refineries get back up and going here. Uh, Dislip fuel oil stocks are still above last year, but I call it 9 million barrels. Um, but uh, dropping with that refinery utilization being lower. And then total stocks. So this is what I call the big three. So you got gasoline, dislit, and crude oil. And we're still 40 million barrels over uh, last year, you know, which is four and a half percent. So, you know, are we coming down fine? That's also a seasonal move, as you've seen here, sort of the middle of March, the general tendency, obviously, you look at the five year average here for us to build stocks. So, you know, it'll be interesting what happens here in the next uh, uh, few weeks on that number. But, you know, are there's you no chronic shortage of products strong? here. I'm Bobby. sorry. Are you saying it's not seasonally strong into into the summer months? No, I'm saying seasonally uh, total stocks will fall through this period. So that's okay. not necessarily a super bullish event. It'll start building here through the spring and, and late spring and early summer. So we'll see if that happens. If it doesn't and they keep falling, well then, you know, product product markets and, and crude will start tightening up and that would support the move higher that you're looking for. But I haven't seen that yet, so. So all we do, Samantha, is we just, you know, we record and write this stuff down every week and watch. It doesn't necessarily tr trigger trade signals for us. It just basically says, you know, what, where's the market at? What direction it's heading in? What's happened before? So it just becomes a sort of a pulse as to what's happening. Um, and these are the refinery inputs we talked about from the storm, you know. And before that, we had supply discipline here, right? So, um, speaking, so of, yeah, speaking of supply uh, discipline, um, yeah. Shale think it'll stay conservative. Uh, they didn't yeah. last time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, price will attract supply. Uh, don't try to be a guru in terms of what the available crude is to come back. I mean, I do buy the argument that, you know, that's probably constricted for a long time. I try not to get too tied up in that forecast because I believe that the price action is pricing a lot of that in. So I'm not trying to forecast, you know, how much I'll get held back. But I know there's a lot of crude oil off the market now, and demand has to come back first, too. The other thing I point out on supply discipline here now, particularly with respect to refiners, is, you know, if you look at the forward cracks, we're going to talk about them, they're pretty, pretty, pretty nice. You know, they're, you know, they're plus $20 a barrel, and I think it's $22 crack for the average diesel crack for uh, 2022. So, so this supply discipline is probably going to start getting eased. People are going to start running here. So um, now that'll use more crude, but it's going to put some additional product back into the market too. So you know, it's a double-edged sword here. So we'll just let this kind of play out. 
this is the gasoline crack and you can see, you know, the forward curves, which are these lines here, you know, are above the five-year average, right? So, so there's nothing wrong that's happening in that market. We have a very uh, steep recovery in refining margins. And this is the Disla crack, you know, the forward curve here for 2022 is $21.16 a barrel. You know, the five-year average is 1871. So, so the refined product markets in terms of refining margins, there's some stuff going on with RINs and, and that are inflating these a bit, which is a, a trading obligation with respect to refiners and renewable fuels. But you know, there's still, you know, the, these aren't depressed uh, cracks like back in the spring that you're seeing here, like, you know, $5 for ULSD here back in uh, June 1st. And there's the crude oil curve that we talked about, you know, the steep backwardation, the spot 60, and this is up, this was uh, yesterday, actually, 64.44 and 58.80. And, you know, there's five, 570, 580 uh, backwardation here. So like, why is that? I mean, geez, if I believe in the thesis that we're going to have sustained prices above $65, that seems like a pretty easy trade to me. Like, why would you trade in the front end? Let's just buy the back, right? So. 12-month strip. Look at how this 12-month strip, I mean, back on the lows, you know, the 12-month strip was $25. It's $62 now. So um, if I'm, at what point as a producer, if you're on hedge, that do you start saying, well, geez, 12 months at 62, that looks pretty good to me. So, you know, we'll just let, we'll see how that kind of plays out or whatever. And then this is the real puzzle here, you know, yeah. basically... Love this Basically, chart. in all in 2021, you know, and this is net large speculators, and this is all the products, by the way. This is CL, Arbob, and ULSD. So large speculators, like you would normally want to see price advance with a sharp increase in um, in large speculative positions. It's just not there. It's a little different on Brent. It's actually it's it's you know it's more normal, more favorable. In other words, it's a little more excessive, but. And that's, that's just not a good picture for me. And I don't buy, well, that's actually, you know, dry, uh, the saying, trading sayings, dry powder. Well, that's a long time to have dry powder. <laughs> like, when is the powder coming in? If it's all going to come in at $65 plus, like, I want to wait on that because that's, that's, that's people that are, I think, are late to the party or whatever. So and then this is just our heat map. So it really doesn't generate any signals. So we look at 20 indicators, all the top, you know, term structure, volatility, Price, seasonality, trading volume, spec money flows, you know, money flow, demand, exports, refining runs, margins, currency, geo risk, weather. And, you know, if you take the top part here is like the, this is basically price and it's been very strong and, and you expect that, you know, price usually leads. But then you get into, you know, stuff we talked about, spec money flows, open interest, product demand, stuff that's, you know, just marginally neutral, maybe a little bullish refinery runs are you know negative because of the storms currency is back and forth uh as you know uh, dxy's had a tough day the last few days so it's a little more favorable to oil and then just to talk about this you know this is something we talked about back in november is that you know we've been scoring geopolitical risk really high for a long long time because we just felt with the change administration with prices having a poor year in the middle east that and just you know, the actions of the Iranians um, that we just thought there's something, you know, it could be silly season there. And um, um, so we just want to be exposed to that. And, and we are with our position in Exxon or whatever. And then weather is the thing that changes more week to week, but this just kind of gives us a picture. And, and then, you know, we just like to just put a really simple framework on it. And for us, it's like, you know, we call it the vaccine rainbow and supply discipline, you know, that's what's driving the rally. And we think it's ahead of the, the fundamentals and money flows. And so how do we trade that? Well, we just continue to watch because we're not really convinced. So 
we'll join the rally when we see that fundamental and money flow improvement. And, and then, but really what we want to do is sell on this narrative exhaustion, you know, like, which is um, maybe when the pent up demand and, and vaccine rainbow doesn't really work out. You know, we've had a saying for a while, you know, the end maybe is the end, you know, <laughs> like when we're all good, maybe that's the end. So uh, we'll just let that play out. But so that just gives us a pictorial. So sitting underneath this is what you mentioned earlier, which is our energy price index. So it's a little more elaborate scoring in all those categories and, and some weightings and stuff like that. But again, they don't really tra generate trade signals. They just help us um, assess the current market conditions and, and look for opportunities. And then we're just, you know, you mentioned before, you called me an opportunist. We're, we're just looking for opportunities and then we just trade things much the same way you do, you know, enter exit on technicals or just, you know, trading pullbacks or how, however, no, normal mechanics, you know, block and tackle type stuff about getting in now to trade. So that's sort of our, uh, that's our posture or whatever. Do you have any feed oh, the good wolf? That. Feed the good wolf. Yeah. Do you have any, um, I guess, input for seasonality? Yeah. I mean, we, uh, there is a time. I mean, it's funny how we, you know, you'd find this too, is you go through these periods in your career or your trading career where you put a lot of emphasis on things. I remember I used to get these books. I forget they were from, uh, is it Bernstein or something? I mean, I used to follow those things. So they used to have it right down to the day. And Oh, the cycle know, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yes, you know, yes, on the yes. oil market for the last 10 years is bottomed on February 26. And like you, you can get, I call it, you know, sometimes this, um, I call it um, subject matter expertise can really hurt you. You can get down the rabbit hole of like all these particular, you know, those 20 indicators. And I try to stay as sort of generalist as I can, even though there's a lot of detail there, because you can get down the rabbit hole. And then that particular indicator or that particular, whether it's supply or demand can be end up being your blind spot. Cause then you're going, well, geez, this certain condition, you, doesn't usually fit with this period. So and then you're fighting it, right? And you're mad at it. So I, tr I try to keep a lot of detail in our model, but not get down the rabbit hole of the, being a subject matter expert in every one of those individual areas. So it's just like technicals, like I was a big technical trader. Now I just keep the charts as simple as I can, because I don't want to get, I don't want to get too much subject matter expertise into my thinking so because so my my approach is very much and i don't even play poker but i love the the expression counting cards yes, yes. so for me it's very much counting cards if i have i have all kinds of indicators i want to know you know probabilities if you will if it's if i've got three out of five okay yeah. four out of yeah. five awesome rare yeah. to have all five out of five but the point is yeah. that type of stacking yeah. and weighting the indicators but at the same time, I mean, there are times where it's not really the best um, for swing or position traders to go short gold. There's the seasonality. They're same yes, thing with oil. Yeah. So just wondering yeah. how much of that input. I'll, I'll look. I'll look quite a bit on it. Um, um, I like seasonality, and uh, yeah. there's certain times of the year yeah. for different products where it's you know really important, and you know I'll have to have a strong view to overrule it. So, but I I try not to have too many rules because sometimes I just you know. Like I say, most of the time I don't know. And if I want to trade on conviction with intuition that it somehow is connected to my models, I want to feel free that I can do that. So, well, I but take a, a very much um, multidisciplinarian, which is I'm looking at macro and I'm looking, okay, yes, dollars and input. Um, this this uh, 
yield regime, new yield regime, politically, uh, monetary um, and fiscal regime change as well as all fueling, if you will, inflation expectations. The CPI will continue to move higher. You know, gasoline looks like it's moving uh, higher. And that run, if you will, to me has put um, the tailwind of a bullish thesis. Then I get to that chart and I had to, had to go find it, but I found it. Um, the one where you just showed me yours real quick. Right. This is that same chart, you know, with a line through it monthly. This is yes. many, many, many years and boom, you know, from top and here, here we are, which is why I said, okay, this can still pull back. I'm not saying, you know, we're going to have, um, the trigger right here and right now, but man, oh man, technically it's also looking good. And this happens to be a morning star formation on, for those who I do candlestick candlesticks, so that formation is uber bullish, especially on a month on, on a monthly. So there are definitely, um, no question technical like look is also bullish. And then my intermarket is still stupid bullish. And I know this is kind of a little bit, um, busy, but I'm going to show you anyway, mm -hmm. because it is absolutely, if I can find it, there's pivoting on oil. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do that one. All right, so this is that article that I mentioned that I sent to clients. And obviously, I'm really into the rotation reflation themes when they appear. I want to have a lot of, of, of reason behind this. And of course, energy is that cyclical commodity trade, which you specialize in oil. So I love your insights there. But I'm looking for a basket trade um, of a particular sector to go long with clients or short with clients. And this is definitely, whether it be reflation because of yield, um, whether it be my intermarket because because of growth uh, is is coming down from that September fourth peak. Growth, yes. Yep. To value, which is that factor rotation, I'm into that. Um, and then I do my intermarket stuff, and this is going to be again muddy for most, but not for me. It makes crystal clear sense to me. And when we talked about this back in October, November, right? I'm like, it's absolutely bullish, and it looks like. And I had put back then that we're going to be getting into an inverse kind of situation where this is a shoulder, this is a head, and this is a shoulder. And this, by the way, I should explain, is a relative chart, XLE to SPY. In other words, this it, it, this foretold in my or, or supported my growth to value um, rotation theme that nice. energy would outperform SPY, relatively speaking. And in particular, that tech was number one last year. What has been the number one performing um, sector year to date in March? Energy. So it was at the bottom of the barrel. Outliers revert. Anyway, so this is the kind of stuff that I like to do from the market. Um, in addition to the macro, in addition to the technical, um, here's the other thing I've shown with you before, which was, again, November, you and I were totally aligned that oil was going higher and with it, that whole reflation trade, which was my theme. Um, so this is the kind of stuff that I love you know, then going in and talking, what about inflation? Um, what about the, the political, the fiscal, monetary regime change? And ultimately it comes into big picture. These big wirehouses are recommending energy or oil as an inflation hedge. And there's precedence for that, right? So I'm looking at this going, wow, look at the carry versus other inflation, um, you know, vehicles. It's relatively cheap. You know, this is 
this is a, another viable. There's, there's backwardation in a lot of commodities. So yeah, we have carry trade going and on there for sure. The, and then within the commodity complex, uh, CPI, you know, as it rises, energy is actually beating out the other commodity complex, you know, right. So to me, I'm looking at this going, okay, stimulus benefits, oil, consumer direct spending. Anyway, backwardation, which you've already kind of touched upon. You have your divergences. There's no question. Um, I'm looking- A lot of of work there. I love it. This is what I do for clients. And this is what I do in my head to figure out what's going on. Your approach is obviously different, but we come to the same place. But this is why I actually think oil with- what I just showed you also in that chart, for example, um, can be moving strongly higher. And I don't think that's good for the economy. So let's talk about that. What happens if oil moves strongly higher? (laughs) Well, that's what I was, do you think the world can live on sustained $100 oil prices? No, absolutely not. It's a, it's a, it's a headwind strong one, but it does look bullish. So sure. to me, I have to, you know. My Exxon position is going to do well then. Your Exxon position is going to do well. And a then lot. Then you'll of- help me. You'll help me pick the top and we'll trade the top together. How's that? I, I hope we actually can catch it because I think bottoms in this particular case, we had a lot of catalysts that were coming together. Um, yeah. The top, if it gets too spiky, it's going to be quick. Right. Right. So that's that's the trouble. What a catch it is catch it like Exxon from 32 to 62 or what? That was gorgeous. And slow. Well, it was a, it was a pullback. It was a pretty sharp pullback there. Do you know XLE until recently hadn't even taken out its June 8th high. So. Oh, this is so, true. It hasn't made up yeah. with even the February, the COVID, you yeah. know, pre, pre COVID lockdowns and such. Yeah. So, so. Um, I think that's. Another yeah. I, no I, higher. I, I think. Um, I think. For us, we'll just wait, and uh, we're exposed to that move. I hope it happens, actually. And uh, but I'm looking forward to trading the top when it comes. The other side of this should be fun. This is we how- need another missile attack or something. Wars and explosions, we call it in our business. Yeah, that's a tail risk we don't need. Okay, so what would be the biggest surprise? What you call the lut- lunch? What the heck's it called? Lunch bag letdown. Sure, the demand. Demand doesn't come back the way we all think it's going to. I mean, I think that's the narrative right now that's holding everything together. And uh, it's supply discipline, but really it's demand. And so the biggest lunch bag letdown is demand. And okay. so that, that, that v, the V-shaped recovery, remember that off the bottom? I mean, that was supposed to be second quarter or third quarter 2020. Then it was supposed to be fourth quarter. Then it was supposed to be first, first quarter. And it's not going to be second quarter. So we'll see. We'll see. Okay, so that's one thing um, to kind of keep in the back. And then if any changes to that speculative net long um, chart, which I love. And I would really feel better if, if people were coming in. Speculators had exposure to that. Absolutely. You don't trade with the flow, but where's the flow? It's just not there. You know when you know, they might... will come in? When it's time to reverse. It's like literally last in, last first yeah. out. But Late to the party? They're late. They're, they're smart. They're smarter than that. All right. So how can we stay in touch? Because you are off Twitter. Um, luckily, I know where to find you. But the right. point, how do we get more information and, and access? Yeah, I'll, I'll actually send you my email address and then we can uh, put it up with the video or whatever and people can reach out to me. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What we can do is, uh, you know, let's hang, let's stay in touch and come back. Uh, 
in a few weeks and go through the deck again and see what's changed or whatever. So that's right. the part about doing the work every day is, you know, you, you see things gradually changing over time. I write everything down. Actually, I, I have a book for the whole year and I write it down. I do my own Excel charts and that people think that's goofy and a waste of time, but I like working with the numbers. I like seeing things change every day. I like looking in the cell next to it. I like grinding out a piece of paper or the crack spreads every day. And just, it puts me looking at the volumes and open interest changes and it just gives me a feel. That's kind of my edge. It's not wasting time. And so these things aren't gradual. That's the thing about being patient and waiting is you don't have to trade every day. So, uh, and I don't have to know what's going to happen. I only have to know when I want to make a trade and then and, and that just evolves on its own. So uh, I've learned to be patient about the number of times I trade. Once I get in, I'm still not patient, uh, but um, at least I'm watching more than I'm doing and I'm trading. I'm not forecasting. I think those, that's an important distinction. And you're keeping busy with all this minute detail. I got a bunch of other stuff going on too, but, but I'm, I'm having fun. <laughs> with your yeah. big positions. Yeah, right. That would be good yeah. because I mean, Derek, for example, in, in comments, um, when he, when you mentioned you're getting your fund together, it's like, I'll give you money. So there is going to be some interest for sure. I don't know how it works up there in Canada, but definitely we'll have to come back when that gets announced. Yeah, you're so good too. I mean, you're so sharp. And uh, um, I we were talking before we get on, I don't know where you find the time to do everything that you do. I told you I'm underutilized. My kids are all oh in my college. God. My dog doesn't yeah. want to walk so much. He's too old. And I got a 17 year old boy. He just got his license last week. So we were joking. It's cats in the cradle areas. Uh, see you later. Can I have them, please? What he's, no, he's heading out the door now. So you're going to be a mess. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, no but. kidding. <laughs> all right. For right now, I will say thank you again. Oh, thank you. Time. You're thank so, you you're so good or whatever. We'll, um, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Time. Right on. Everyone okay, Samantha. I will have this up on my YouTube channel tonight. Oh, Check it okay. out there. And so give, right me, give me this. I have several emails for you, but I want to know the one that I can put up on um, yeah. the description. Okay. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you so okay, much. Take care. Bye. Bye, -bye. Bye now.